son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It almost feels like this week has just flown by with all the busy action of free agency, but it's Friday we're here, and we are not finished just yet. We've still got a lot to get through on this free agent edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast as we talk more offensive line, uh, the outlook for the rest of free agency, and where things stand for the Bengals and much more. Welcome in to another edition. Muhammad Ahmad here with you, joined by Andrew Gillis and Mike Nislik. And before we get into uh, talking about Orlando Brown and his introduction as a Cincinnati Bengal, we got to start with uh, the other side of the offensive line, and that's Jonah Williams, of course, um, per NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. Uh, he has requested a trade from Cincinnati uh, in light of the recent news with Brown signing and after reports surfaced that the Bengals planned on moving Jonah Williams to right tackle. So clearly uh, he was not comfortable with that, and Brian Callahan gave that, that away at the Combine when he said that Jonah is a tried-and-true left tackle. And if you go all the way back to Jonah's you know, pre-draft process four years ago, he said, I'm a left tackle. So uh, he clearly has a stance on that, understandably so. But uh, again, we talked with uh, Frank Pollock, the Bengals offensive line head coach. He didn't really talk much about it, but he did say if he were to make the transition to right tackle, that there should be no issues at all. But uh, again, that's until things get cleared up because uh, he's clearly not happy with the situation. But let me ask you this, guys. If you're the Bengals, you look at Jonah Williams. He's got his fifth year coming up. $12.6 $12.6 million on the table for him. Do you entertain the possibility of a trade and why or why not? Well, I mean, it, it kind of sounds like you have to, if, uh, you know, if Jonah Williams is, is going to try and try and kind of force his way out of town. I mean, who knows kind of where this ends? You know, I think, um, you know, it's obviously a pretty delicate situation when a guy requests a trade because, you know, frankly, when a guy requests a trade, there, there, there becomes a lot of different dynamics at play in terms of trade negotiations. Um, you know, what kind of leverage does the trading team have? I mean, this this has kind of come after free agency is you know almost a week old, where you know, okay, some of these teams that might have needed a tackle a few days ago, you know, might have solved that issue, or you know, might have gone elsewhere with their money, and now. You know, you're talking about a guy who's going to be making $12.6 million against the cap uh, in 2023. So, you know, it's not exactly a ton of money, but, you know, that that is, you know, a decent chunk of change. And, you know, if the Bengals move on from him, um, you're I mean, you're kind of going to be right back to where we were a week ago. You're probably going to feel better about that left tackle position, but, you know, you're still going to have a lot of questions at right tackle. So the Bengals have some some obviously. 
you know, they they have a desire to keep him or they, they would. And, and it's kind of sounded like that today, talking to Frank Pollock. Um, you know, they want to have him around for, you know, more than just, you know, you need a right tackle. You, you want to have him around because he knows your offense. He knows the scheme, knows the system. And, uh, yeah, it, it's just a really delicate situation right now with, with kind of what's going to happen. And you're going to have to see really what, uh, what Jonah Williams wants. If you can kind of convince him into staying for another year, uh, I think that would be kind of in the Bengals' best interest. But, frankly, I don't know if it's in Jonah Williams' best interest to do that. Well, was his leverage? He's going to sit out and not get paid twelve point six million dollars. Well, not sorry. So when I said that with trade negotiations, I'm sorry. I meant uh, with other teams. You know, once a player publicly requests a trade, you know, the Bengals can't go to somebody else and say, you know, hey, we want X, and because the, the you know the immediate response is, all right, well, you can keep him if if he's going to hold out or if he's if he's going to argue for for more money or something like that. There. There, the trade negotiation does kind of lose some of its uh, luster if a player has publicly asked out. Yeah, but I don't think Jonah Williams has any leverage here. Um, in terms no, I of meant, the, I meant, the, do the Bengals have leverage? Yeah, but I'm saying Jonah Williams doesn't have leverage. So ultimately, they could just say play. Like, I mean, they're not going to just take a bad deal because uh, he's disgruntled. I think they'll have to let emotions settle. Obviously, you know, I thought it was interesting when. Frank Pollock said they've reached out, uh, but wouldn't say they've actually talked with or made contact with. You know, the initial report said the trade request was made through um, the his agent. His so agent. it doesn't sound like they've even talked, um, which I think is interesting. Uh, you know, I w- would have loved to have had Zach Taylor speak and ask if they had given Jonah Williams a heads up, because um, that you know, you know, when you look at it, they should probably. Uh, you know, do that in that situation, especially when a guy you know uh, is not going to be thrilled by a move, but we don't know what they did or didn't do. Uh, but I, I think you keep him, and, you know, I, I can't see a scenario where he doesn't play in 2023 when he can get $12.6 million. I mean, like Mike said, <laughs> he really has no leverage. Like, what's he going to do? Just sit out and say, okay, we're not going to pay you. Now what? Um, but at the same time, though, his, history is not really on Jonah Williams' side because, I mean, the last time you had anything similar to this was like, I mean, you have to go back pretty far. I mean, 2010, Carson Palmer, when he was the franchise QB, he was disgruntled. He was sick of everything going on. Bengals had just gone 4-12, and and he just wasn't happy at that point after, like, what, seven years? He says, I want to be traded. And Mike Brown says, tough luck. I mean, he basically didn't budge, so he threatened retirement, but they called his bluff and said, yeah, you're bluffing. Eventually they did trade him after he was serious and he did sit out. Uh, He went to Oakland, had an interesting finish with Arizona. But I mean, beyond that, the Bengals have never really taken the bait on that. They usually kind of call guys as bluffs and either, okay, someone like Carson Palmer eventually gets traded because they don't want to deal with this problem on their hands or they do nothing at all. Now at the same time, if there is some hope for Jonah Williams, I mean, you can go back a year and a half ago when, they traded Billy Price, who was a former first-round pick, to the Giants for B.J. Hill, which I think is a, a trade that worked out really well for the Bengals. But I guess that's what I want to kind of ask is, like, let's say the Bengals say, all right, Jonah, we understand how you feel. Like, let's say maybe they actually do say, all right, we'll, we'll make something happen. If you were to trade him, what would you kind of envision a trade looking like? Would it be like a player for player, like the B.J. Hill, Billy Price trade? Would you want to throw in draft picks? Like, what would you want to see a trade look like if the Bengals actually take that seriously? Well, I mean, I would imagine it'd be for draft capital. I don't know what the um, they would get, to be honest. I mean, 
Uh, you know, to take out a $12.6 million cap hit, you're probably talking about a late pick. Um, you know, I don't know. And a guy that you're only going to get that, you know, if you don't sign him to an extension for one year, um, you know, I don't know what that's, you know, worth. I mean, something, but it's not like it's going to get you a, a top-tier pick here in this draft. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think, you know, maybe best-case scenario, you're you're thinking a third. Um for Jonah Williams, just because again, like, you know, if, if a team does kind of view him as, as a substantial answer at, at left tackle, um, you know, that, that's a good thing for the Bengals. Um, because, you know, if, if a team can look at the situation with, with Jonah and say, Hey, you know, we can get a, a left tackle, somebody that we think, you know, maybe we can get a long-term deal with done uh, $12.6 million for a left tackle that you think can be good is not, you know, egregious at all. It's, it's probably pretty good. And, you know, I think that I think that that matters for a winning team. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you would want to trade him to a team that is rebuilding or a team that, you know, probably isn't going to be that good this year just because I don't know how much interest there's going to be in a guy who whose cap hit is going to go up to, you know, maybe free agency levels or wants to test free agency a year from now. So, yeah, I, I don't think you're getting a whole heck of a lot, um, you know, even if, uh, you know, even though he is a left tackle in a premier position, um, you know, you, I mean, you kind of think back to some of the other trades that have happened, um, you know, with, you know, the big players, you know, big marquee players that are coming up on contracts. Uh, you know, your A.J. Brown gets traded for a first, and I'm not sure if that's 100% applicable here. But again, I think it just goes to show that when, when the contract is coming and when the payment is come due, you know, teams really kind of shy away from, from giving a ton of draft capital. And I think the other thing teams have to consider is like you're bringing in a guy who's basically worth $12.6 million. Like, do other teams want to pay the bill for a guy who essentially, at the very least, is like a one time rental? Cause he's got a year left on that fifth year option, you know, that the Bengals extended. Um, and so, like, do teams want to pick that up? I don't know, especially because. Like here's the thing, if the if they were to, you know, take a chance on Jonah Williams, if teams were to go for a trade and say, Okay, we'll bring him in, well, you have to bring him in knowing that you're gonna probably extend him because what's the point of bringing someone in for just one year and you're paying that much money? Like that's a lot of money, uh, let alone for a left tackle. But I mean you look at some of the cap space numbers, like I'm just looking at over the cap numbers for other teams, like the Bears, forty four point eight mil, Falcons 34.8 mil, Packers, 24 mil. I, I'm listing those teams out because those are teams that probably could use another left tackle. Like, you know, you got Jake Matthews with the Falcons. He's entering his 10th year. He's not getting younger. Uh, David Bakhtiari in Green Bay, he's going to turn 32 this year. He's already uh, well over a decade in his career. So, you know, like maybe those are some teams. And maybe some teams that have less of a cap room might want to consider that. Like, I don't know, the Patriots, Steelers, who knows? Um, it just depends on what they're looking for and, Again, if they're willing to bring him in, knowing that they're probably going to want to have to extend him at some point next year when his contract is up. Because like I said, if you're going to bring in a guy like that, I don't know if it's worth bringing it in for just that one year and uh, paying that much money. But like that's on other teams. That's for the Bengals. Like, if they get draft capital, like you guys said, which I think would be the case, I mean, use it to get a defensive tackle. Use it to get like some other areas that are like not the most pressing areas of need, like tight end and safety that – I think we're going to see a little bit more uh, action with than free agency in the draft, which we'll talk about. But maybe those like lesser areas of need gives you more room to work with that. So again, I think it's it's a win win for the Bengals. Just about you know how they want to play their uh, deck of cards. But well, uh, speaking, I, 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 I disagree. Win. I, I, yeah, win. 
Yeah, please, please, ex- please describe how it's a win-win. Because there's no, well, you guys said it. There's no leverage for Jonah Williams. There's no leverage for Jonah Williams. So worst case, he sits out. They don't pay him. Okay, no problem. But then you still need a right tackle. That's why you have the draft. That's why. And that doesn't make it a win-win. They can get a project that in the draft, and then just hope Lyle Collins is healthy because at least you have him, and then you don't have to worry about cutting him at that point. And you just got Cody Ford, so you have depth at that position as well. This is not a situation that I don't think anybody would describe as win-win. I'm not saying they're happy with it. I'm not saying the Bengals are happy with it, but the ball is in their court. Like They're not the ones who are going to be hurt by this situation. That's what I mean. No, I see. Well, that's the thing. I super disagree. I think they could absolutely be hurt by this situation because, you know, you mentioned, oh, well, if you trade Jonah Williams for a draft pick or something like that, you know, you can use that to get a defensive tackle. Well, I mean, if you do that, like we are pretty much back to kind of where this um, essentially kind of where this conversation was a few days ago where it was, okay, you feel better about left tackle but you still need a long-term answer at right tackle, or at least an answer for 2023, which is more pressing because is Leo Collins healthy? Do you feel comfortable trotting Cody Ford out there? Like there's a lot of different things that go into that. And I think that, you know, yes, you do feel better than you would have a few days ago, but if if you get a pick for him, let's say you get a third round pick for some team, that means you're going to have four picks in the first three rounds. I think one of those picks kind of has to be a tackle because you don't want the the guard or the excuse me the right tackle competition going into camp to be maybe Leo Collins Cody Ford like that I I think you would want kind of a a younger option there you know especially if it's like a Dewan Jones or an Anton Harrison or or somebody like that that you can you know you know or if, a Darnell Wright ready, you feel better about that long term. Well, that's the thing. Like, I get it. You're not going to feel as good, but it's like, okay, they'll just say, okay, we got pick number 20 in the draft. We'll get whatever option is out there at tackle, even if it's a project. I understand it's not ideal, but again, you can work with that and then just hope that if it's Lyle Collins or whoever's healthy for week one, then you can just hope that you, you got depth behind that person. But at the same time, I mean, like, this is a silly question, but I, I think about this because obviously we saw it with Jesse Bates. I mean, he didn't sit out last year, but he sat out most of training camp. He sat out most of the preseason. Eventually, he came back and signed the franchise tag. I mean, do you guys see, like, Jonah Williams taking this pretty far and saying, nope, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to hold out? Or do you think he'll cave in and say, okay, I'll be a right tackle, I'll suck it up? Like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen if you had to guess? I, I mean, I think it's, it's hard to say. Um, just kind of, especially because the trade request came down. I mean, at least it got reported today. I mean, who knows if he called the Bengals an hour after it and said, you know, I, I'm, I want to get traded. Um, so it, it's still really early in this. Um, you know, it's hard to say it's, I mean, look, maybe the Bengals kind of go through the draft process. Cause you could absolutely see a scenario where, you know, a team wants to pick a tackle in the draft doesn't. And then all of a sudden they're they're not feeling great about it headed into June. And, okay, well, now a Jonah Williams trade makes sense. Or, you know, do the Bengals kind of sit there and say, well, look, you know, Jonah, you're going to play for a team that's, you know, really good, that's this, that's that. You're going to add some some versatility. You're going to be able to do this. And, and you just get the right person in his ear to say, look, just play it out, and then you can test free agency a year from now. So I don't know. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways that this could go. You know, You know, kind of like you said, it could – you know, become one of those Jesse Bates things where you get a holdout in camp or something like that, or it could just be, 
you know, Jonah, you know, he, he's not happy by it, but he shows up and he does his job or, you know, or he relents in a week. There's a lot of different ways that this could go. And I think it's kind of too early to say. Yeah, fair enough. And I mean, I think we'll just have to keep our eyes on that for the next couple of weeks and months, especially once we get to OTAs and uh, training camp. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the other areas of need for the Bengals uh, in free agency. Plus, we'll talk more about Orlando Brown, his introduction to Cincinnati and what that means for him and the team. Much, much more to come right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Hey there, it's Muhammad Ahmad from the Strictly Stripes podcast. You might be wondering, what exactly is Cincinnati Football Insider? Well, it's a community of fans who want the inside scoop on the Bengals and a direct connection to the Strictly Stripes podcast and the reporters who cover the team. And that would be me, Andrew Gillis, and Mike Nislick. It works like this. Andrew, Mike, and I will text your phone a few times a day with breaking news, analysis, and our insights on the Bengals. It's the inside scoop on what we're hearing, and we'll give you the inside word before it even hits social media. Being an insider is the best way to participate with the podcast and get in on special events and Zoom calls with me, Mike, and Andrew. And the best part is you can text us directly. It's a great way to cut through the clutter of Facebook, Twitter, other social media, and avoid the trolls for just $4.99 a month. Still not sure? Well, just try it for two weeks, and if you don't like it, you can text the word STOP at any time, but you won't want to cancel once you join the community of hardcore Bengals fans. Here's the best way to get on board. Go to cleveland.com slash Bengals, click on the blue banner at the top of the page, or if it's easier, text 513-940-4193. It's a great time to try the two weeks free, as we'll be reporting live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Plus, we'll be covering free agency on the way to the NFL Draft in April. Give us a try for two weeks and see what you think. Just text this number again. It's 513-940-4193 and become an insider today. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So we talked about uh, the whole situation with Jonah Williams. On the flip side of that, uh, Orlando Brown is officially a Bengal. He made his uh, media debut, if you want to call it that. He spoke with us today, uh, Friday, as we're taping this podcast uh, at Paycor Stadium. And I think there's one thing that stood out to me uh, from his press conference that I really liked among a lot of great things, obviously. I think he was really interesting to talk to. But he said that he considers himself old school compared to his peers in the NFL. He considers himself an old school tackle. Um, and I think obviously that kind of goes back to what he learned from his late father, Orlando Brown Sr., who we've talked about on this podcast, who he talked about being a major influence in his life. You know, when, when you hear a guy like that say, I'm an old school tackle, you know, and he's saying this obviously after he didn't have the best combine and pro day, you know, when he was at Oklahoma five years ago. I mean, what do you like about that? And why do you think the Bengals should like that? You know, if you got Orlando Brown saying that. Well, I, I think he met, you know, the way I took it is that he's old school in the fact that he's not the most athletic person and the league has moved to trying to find, you know, not just the big behemoth guys, but guys that are very quick, fast guys that, could, you know, guys that run a good 40, even if they are uh, six, seven, six, eight. Um, and he's sort of more of a guy that would have fit in the league a long time ago that, that wasn't quite athletic, but, you know, you just can't get past him because he's just, you know, just a giant and, and strong. And so I, that's the way I took to, to mean it. I mean, mentality-wise, I mean, you know, you could say, you know, the same thing where he's just – he seems to be a student of the game because of his lineage. But, um, you know, I just I, – I, that, that's what I thought he meant um, in terms of being old school. Um, and, I, and I think he said, you know, he can – 
to me, I thought it was meant, you know, I can make up my for my shortcomings. Uh, you know, that that's that that doesn't have to be a knock is how people viewed him coming up. They thought that he would suffer because of that. Uh, but he's, you know, thrived despite of that. And so that's kind of how I took it. Yeah, I, I was kind of the same way. It was it was a mentality thing. Uh, you know, the, I mean, you heard him talking today. Just some of the names that, uh, you know, some of the names that he was mentioning uh, just of guys that he studied, you know, his obviously his dad played for the Ravens. You know, he watched Jonathan Ogden. Uh, studied Andrew Whitworth, Tony Baselli, Anthony Munoz. Like you know, the, he's he's kind of grown up in that NFL game. He watched those older guys, and it's a mentality thing for him. It's a physicality thing for him. Um, you know, if you kind of look at his career, I think I believe it's only one game that he's that he's missed in his career. I think he's played in every other regular season game that uh, that has, that his team has played in. So you know, it's just kind of you know to put a cliche on it the lunch pail, you know, go to work, do your job type of mentality that a lot of offensive linemen have. I think that's what he was trying to get across. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned the names like Tony Baselli and Andrew Whitworth and, you know, Jonathan Ogden who played with his dad at one point. Like, I thought that was kind of cool because, I mean, a lot of other tackles his age would have seen those same guys, but, like, he was right there. Like, you know, he – I'm sure he approached those guys, met some of them, you know, with his dad being in the league. But uh, to have kind of that direct connection, and he kind of joked like he's spoiled with how he came up and, you know, the teams he's played with because, what, he's backed up two MVP quarterbacks, could be a third for all we know. Who knows what will happen in Cincinnati, which kind of asked him about that, which which was interesting. But I think it's a great move for the Bengals. Uh, He really – he talked about them as like – even when they were like four and 11, you know, two years ago, and he was going against like Carl Loss and Sam Hubbard. And then recently Trey Hendrickson, who he thought was one of the best guys he's at the block, you know, on the Bengals defensive line. Like he always knew the Bengals were a team that was on the cusp. He knew that they were just one play, one drive, whatever it was from, you know, winning a Super Bowl, getting back to it. Like he saw at Arrowhead. So he knew in the back of his head, this is a championship team. Like he didn't underrate them. And I don't think he was just saying that because, you know, he was in front of all the cameras. Like, I think he knew like Joe Burrow's the real deal. The Bengals are the real deal. Uh, and it just works out for everybody. So I think, yeah, good for him and uh, good for the Bengals. But looking at the other areas in free agency, of course, safety is the other big area of concern tight end as well. Uh, funny enough, speaking of tight end an hour before we got on this podcast, as we taped it, um, Field Yates from ESPN reported that a source told them that Foster Moreau, uh, Joe Burrow's former LSU teammate, who's a free agent after playing with the Raiders for the last four years, uh, visited the Bengals uh, on this Friday. So what do you guys think? Uh, do you think this is going to be the next big move we see from Duke Tobin? Do you think it should be the next big move from Dick uh, – I just said Dick. Forgive me. Duke Tobin. And, and why is that? Like, you, you think this might actually – be the next thing we see for the Bengals? Um, I, I don't know if, if I would consider it, you know, a, a big move for sure. Um, you know, Foster Moreau, he, he's not like, I, he's not, he, he's, he's a nice athlete. Um, you know, I don't think he's kind of the athlete that you could get in the draft with, you know, you think of like a Darnell Washington type. Right. You know, he hasn't really ever kind of done uh, a ton in the NFL. You know, I think that to me would kind of be, he would kind of be a second tight end for you, um, you know, because I, I still think it's pretty clear they're going to add one in the draft. Just I think you kind of look at running back and tight end as two positions where, you know, they've kind of honed in on and, and been okay with. 
um, you know, kind of investing in the draft and that. So I, I think that you kind of look at his stat. I mean, he hasn't carried an offense as number one tight end, and I'm not sure you really want to do that. You know, we've had conversations on this podcast about, you know, hey, look, this team is really close. So I'm not sure if you want to kind of test that and say, okay, you know, this guy, he's going to, uh, you know, now he's going to be a number one tight end. That to me just kind of feels like uh, a depth move if they were to make it. I disagree. I think that's. I think that'd be a pretty good move. I think he could get more out of him uh, than he's shown. And I, I think I think he had a pretty good season last year. Thirty-three catches, four twenty yards, averaged twelve point seven yards per catch, a couple touchdowns. That's in line uh, with what he had the year previous. Um, you know, that's solid talent, consistent, and he's a guy who played with Joe Burrow, who can. Uh, I think we, you know, he has shown that he can get more out of guys, and especially guys that he has good chemistry with. I mean, you know, they have uh, playing history together. I think you'd look at him as your number one tight end until uh, you know you develop a tight end. I think he'd be your number one, and then you have a backup tight end. Uh, you know, as it through the draft, I, I don't. I think it'd be reversed, and I think it'd be a pretty good move. It may depend on the salary, but I mean, if you can get him for uh, a decent cap number, you know, I'm guessing somewhere around six million. Um, that seems to me like a, a solid um, building block for this offense. I'm with you, Mike. I hear what you're saying, Andrew. I know he doesn't pop out like a Hayden Hurst, who was obviously a former first-round pick, who proved himself his last year in Atlanta before he had another prove-it deal in Cincinnati. But I'm with Mike. Like, And, and this is where I was talking about like the whole Joe Burrow effect of like guys like CJ Uzama, Hayden Hurst, show off their production, and they go get paid in you know Carolina and New York and places like that. I think if you really want, you don't even have to bring him in long term. I mean, even though he's 25, he's one of the youngest guys on the market. Bring him in for one, two years even and just watch. I mean, I get it. He hasn't really shown big numbers in the league. But the exception I'll make to that is that he had big numbers in college when, you know, Joe Burrow was throwing to him his senior year. Joe Burrow's first year at LSU, which was Moreau's last. And I also wonder, too – it sucks for Moreau. He, well, I, don't, he graduated. I don't know about big. I don't know about big numbers. I, I would. I mean, big I, compared sure to his NFL numbers. But what I was saying is, I he wonder though. Catches. I don't know, but continue. What, what I was saying is, I wonder though. But I wonder what if he played in that 2019 LSU offense? Because I was saying it sucks for him that he was just born a little too early to where he graduated before that season. So like, I just wonder. Like they had Thad Moss, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. Uh, Terrace Marshall, who's on the Panthers. I just wonder where he would have fit into that. But maybe that what if could be answered by putting him with uh, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. But uh, the other free agent thing we we talked about the other day, which is semi-somewhat official, according to Jeremy Fowler, is uh, the Bengals and Nick Scott are quote-unquote working towards a deal. For those who don't know, uh, he played safety for the Rams the last four years, played 16 games last year, 77 grade and run coverage per PFF. If this deal does go through and he joins Dax Hill and Tyson Anderson, I know you're not feeling like Von Bell, Jesse Bates okay, but how okay would you feel with a signing like that if it goes through? On the scale of 1 to 10 okays? Sure. Make your own scale as you wish. Uh, you just said how okay. I mean, it's a fine signing. I mean, you need veteran depth. I mean, it's nothing sp- splashy. We thought they were looking for a bargain and, and you know somebody that wouldn't cost them all that much. And I think uh, the, the names that you've kind of seen have, have sort of fit that bill. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a significant downgrade. I think you kind of knew uh, one was coming. Um, 
I think you can you can kind of make up for that in other positions, and you obviously need Dax Hill to play really well. But uh, yeah, I, I think if you add if you add Scott, you know everybody's kind of talked about his ability as a run defender. Um, you know, I think that's kind of what you would need with considering Dax and and his athleticism. You want to kind of have somebody that's going to play in the box. That's a that's a role that Vaughn played uh, and played well. So um, yeah, I, I think fine is probably how you feel about your safeties. Uh, you know, I still think that's a position you're going to need to invest in um, just because, you you know, you have Tyson Anderson, you would have your two starters. If Scott and Hill are your two starters, um, you have Tyson Anderson and Mike Thomas. Uh, you probably want another guy there to to kind of, you know, at, serve as depth and play special teams, too. Is fine above or below OK? That's a good question. Um, that's it. Yeah. I, um, I would say well, fine well, is above dictionary okay. for that one. Think so? Actually, I agree. Sure. Okay, just seems like meh. Fine is like sure, sure. Like there seems more assurance in the word fine than okay. Yeah, okay I, is just I, like I view it the opposite. I view okay as affirmative and fine as a negative. I think fine, it depends on the it. tone, though. I think fine, that that, that can't be subjective. Fine, I'll do it. Okay, I'll do it. Okay, fine. You know, it's like, well, see, but you just added inflection <laughs> into that last okay. See, exactly. Okay. You're saying you're okay, saying, like you're like say, like you're like doing a thing fine? with a bull. How do you say fine with the lit? Like you can't do that. Yeah, that's you can't fine. Say it like that. No, that's like that's if you were to say like you know if you were to say like hey Andrew I you know I will be not at the facility today and it's not a big deal I would say yeah that's fine. See that sounds negative to me. That doesn't. Okay. So what? Would, so you would you would prefer me say yeah that's okay? Correct. See, so yeah, in that case, I would say okay sounds worse. No, see, I think I think fine sounds worse. <laughs> we just had like a whole grammar vocabulary debate, man. That was that was interesting. But to be continued on that, I want to wrap up with one last thing that maybe I'll make you guys look good or I'll make you look bad depending on the answers I get. But if you guys remember Orlando Brown was talking today and I think it was James Rapine from sports illustrated who asked him, what do you remember about your 2018 combine meeting with the Bengals? Of course that was before Zach Taylor. That was Marvin Lewis's last combine as the Bengals head coach. And he said that Marvin Lewis asked him, what is the capital of Spain? And he answered Portugal. Well, the answer is obviously Madrid, and Portugal is a country next to Spain. So he was, I guess, somewhat close. But um, to see where your all's geography skills stand, I have six random countries How from is different. That close? Huh? Like in proximity? Proximity, proximity. Obviously, the answer was far from close. I'm saying distance wise, he was like kind of there. But uh, to test your all's geographical knowledge, I have six countries completely random. Ones you probably wouldn't think of, and they're from different continents and corners of the world. I'm going to ask you if you know the capitals of these respective countries. You guys want to give it a shot? We've got six countries, and I picked them completely randomly. Sure. All right. How did First you pick one. Them randomly. I honestly just looked at a list of countries and blindly just picked random names, and I picked the ones that aren't like. I guess this is subjective, but your more so known countries. Random. So it's not random. It's somewhat random. Anyhow, okay, let, let's just get to the game here. Okay, the first country. You guys ready? Okay, the first country is Poland. What is the capital of Poland? Warsaw. Okay, there you go. Good job. All right. So is this like, yeah, is this just like one of those games where you like, like, yeah, I, 
like you at, what here i guess we just buzz in basically and yes pick the, okay. yes we'll no cheating it out I, you got I, it I'm, I'm i'm gonna ask it really quick because i don't want to see any cheating so That's okay fine. good job andrew you got that one indonesia indonesia i got nothing i have no idea jakarta okay all right next one peru peru uh 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 lima there you go. Okay. Wow. I know Ohioans say Lima, so uh, there you go. <laughs> I was, was going to see if you are going to pick up on that. That was good. I, I almost said Lima, too. It's Lima. All right. Here we go. New Zealand. Oh, um. Hut? No, that's not right. <laughs> I never, wait, is that a city? I never heard of that. Yeah. Uh, damn. It's not, it's not yeah, it. I don't know. I don't know. It's Wellington. Wellington. Okay. All right, Lebanon. Lebanon. Oh God. Uh, I don't know Lebanon. Mike, do you know Lebanon? No, I I am not buzzing in. All right. Uh, the answer to that is Beirut. My home country is actually south of Lebanon, so that's how I know that. Uh, last but not least, that doesn't sound like a random pick. Then did you pick? That yeah. Up yeah. Exactly well, I just happened to know the answer, but it was still random. Yeah. This was a rigged game, and I think it's... Wow, so I pick one country, and it just so happens to be not far from where my family's from. Wow, okay, I guess it doesn't count. Sus, as the kids say. Sure, as your kids would say. Um, last but not least, Senegal. Senegal. Yeah, I, uh, you got me. Dakar. Dakar, okay. The only <laughs> thing I know about on... Senegal is that Ohio had a... When I was covering the team, they had a kid from Senegal. That's it. So, sorry to the people of Dakar. Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Well, hey, you had like, what, three, two or three answers there. You were doing good for a bit. So, give yourself a pat on the back, Andrew. Mike, you need to brush up on those geography skills. But I, I think all of us can. I refuse what? to participate in a game that was designed poorly. To make us look bad. So I just, so I, just I ask you six countries in the capital of those countries. That's not, I don't even know if it's a game. That's just trivia at that point. You like said they were picked randomly, but they were not picked randomly. Well, because one of them just happened to be close to where my family's from. Big no, deal. You, said, you looked at a list and picked them out. That is not random. Random is like you spin a globe and you put your finger down. That's random. Because you're randomly picking something. Well, I randomly random picked by just looking the at the list. No, I was like, okay, this is this is in awesome. Europe, this is in South America, this is in Southeast Asia, again, this is in... not random. I disagree. I, I think your interpretation of random is different from my interpretation of random. But I, I think we're just gonna have to it's randomly not, say the interpretation is the definition. You can't have a method to picking countries. <laughs> That's not how random works. So how would you, like, okay, if you were to do this game, if you want to even call it a game, and pick the six countries like I did, like, how would you randomly pick it, like, differently from I randomly picked it? Spin a globe, and then you place your finger and stop it. What if I don't have a globe? I don't physically possess one. Then you've got to find a different po- a way. And that's the way that I picked. Or, or here's an here's idea. <laughs> Don't say it's a random game. Say I pick these specifically out of a list. Deal. Deal. The, ne- the next time I test you guys on your trivia, just watch. In like two, three weeks, I'm going to randomly pick six more countries. I can't say randomly. I'm going to pick six more countries <laughs> on a random day. <laughs> and I'm going to test you guys and see if you're going to brush up on those skills. But... 
Anyhow, that's going to wrap it up for the week. Stay tuned as next week we uh, start grading the Bengals and their free agency efforts, get back into our mock drafts, look ahead to the month of April, and get into the spring if this weather can start warming up in the Cincinnati tri-state area. But once again, for myself, Andrew, and Mike, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Enjoy a weekend of March Madness, and I'm sorry if your bracket is broken.